Welcome to the KPMG Financial Reporting Podcast Series, delivering fresh insights and perspectives around major accounting and financial reporting developments across a range of timely topics. We thank you for joining today. Hello, I'm John Barbagallo, the Managing Director at KPMG. And in today's episode, I have the pleasure of discussing the FASB's recent amendment to Topic 842 regarding common control leasing arrangements with two of my colleagues from KPMG's Department of Professional Practice, Robin Van Voorhees and Corey Glidden. Robin and Corey have been closely monitoring this project, and I want to thank them today for joining us to share their insights on the amendment. But before we dive into the details, I would like to kick off today's podcast with some background just to help level set. So, Robin, tell us why the FASB amended Topic A42 and who is really affected by these amendments. Thanks, John. So on your first question, why they amended Topic 842, the previous guidance under 842 for all entities is that you must look to the legally enforceable terms and conditions in determining whether a lease exists, lease classification, and accounting. Now, there were diverse views, particularly amongst the private entities, about the extent to which those entities must look for legally enforceable terms and conditions, like outside of the written terms and conditions, or whether to consult with legal counsel or to obtain a legal opinion. And for common control arrangements specifically, it's pretty common that there are no written terms and conditions. So that is really how the FASB landed on the scope of this issue, which leads me to your second question. So on that question about scope, to start, the ASU only applies to common control arrangements, but there are two issues under the ASU and the scope of those issues is different. So first, It provides a new practical expedient available only to private entities, which permits them to look solely to the any written terms and conditions between the common control parties when accounting for the arrangement. The parties do not consider the legal enforceability of those written terms and conditions. Second, it imposes new guidance on all lessees, both public and private, around the amortization period for leasehold improvements related to common control leases, which Corey will get into. Yeah, thanks, Robin. Very helpful and and appreciate the background. So, Corey, turning to you, you know, Robin mentioned there are really two issues here, right? So give us details on each issue. Yeah, absolutely. So issue number one, as Robin mentioned, it introduces a new practical expedient that's available for private entities only, which allows them to use the written terms and conditions of a common control arrangement to determine whether a lease exists and if so, how to classify and otherwise account for that lease, they do not have to evaluate the legal enforceability of those terms and conditions like they would have under previous guidance. If there are no written terms and conditions, then obviously you cannot use this practical expedient. And it's important to note that the expedient is electable on an arrangement by arrangement basis. So for issue number two, which deals with leasehold improvements, Under these amendments, provided a lessee is the accounting owner of the leasehold improvement to a common control lease, they will amortize it over the estimated useful life to the common control group, regardless of the 842 lease term, as long as they continue to control the use of that underlying asset. This is different from previous guidance, which would have required the amortization period to be the shorter of the useful life or the lease term. If a lessor obtains the right to control the use of the underlying asset through a lease with a unrelated party that's outside of the common control group, then the lessee's amortization period typically cannot exceed the lease term of the lease between the lessor and the unrelated party. 
if before the end of the improvement's useful life, the lessee relinquishes control over the use of the underlying asset, for example, exiting a leased building to which the leasehold improvement related to, it would account for the improvements as being transferred to the lessor. In effect, it's treated as a dividend to a common control parent. So you derecognize the remaining carrying amount of the improvements with a corresponding adjustment to equity or net assets for not-for-profit entities. The amendments make clear that these leasehold improvements are, like other recognized leasehold improvements of a lessee, subject to the long-lived assets impairment guidance in Topic 360. In addition, the amendments clarify, one, that when testing these leasehold improvements for recoverability under Topic 360, the undiscounted future cash flows should assume that a transfer to the lessor will not occur, and two, that immediately before any transfer to the lessor, an impairment should be recognized by a lessee for any deficit of fair value to the carrying amount. Lastly, there's additional disclosures. Lessees are required to disclose information about leasehold improvements, which as a result of these amendments have an amortization period that is longer than the lease term. Thanks, Corey. That was helpful. So one thing I think we should clarify, though. So when the FASB deliberated issue one, uh, questions were raised regarding you know, when terms and conditions are considered to be written. So tell us where the FASB landed on the written question. Yeah, so the ASU doesn't prescribe a specific form or approach for documenting the written terms and conditions of an arrangement. Instead, you know, the board has said determining whether written terms and conditions exist is really left to reasonable judgment. Thanks, Corey. So back to you, Robin. Tell us about the new ASU's effective date and, and broadly discuss the transition requirements. Sure, John. So this ASU is effective for all entities, both annual and interim periods beginning in 2024, but early adoption is permitted for both annual and interim financial statements, not yet available for issuance as of the beginning of the entity's relevant fiscal year. Now, early adoption is permitted for either set of amendments, either issue one or issue two, independently. So that means an entity can early adopt the issue one amendments without early adopting the issue two amendments and vice versa. Now, if an entity has adopted Topic 842, retrospective and prospective transition options are available to them. And like with early adoption, an entity can elect its transition method for the Issue 1 and Issue 2 amendments independently. Now, if an entity has not adopted Topic 842, it can really adopt concurrent with Topic 842. Now, there are some nuances on transition options, as you have likely already picked up on at this point. So we do encourage folks to look to the transition guidance under the ASU to determine which bucket you fall into and what options are available to you, because there are quite a few. And also, specifically for issue one, that's the practical expedient for private entities, those entities are permitted to document any previously unwritten terms and conditions of an existing arrangement any time before their first financial statements are available to be issued, even if the relevant reporting date has passed. Yeah, thanks, Robin. A lot to absorb there. So, Corey, last question. There are many private companies that will be adopting A42 in their 2022 financial statements. So how will these amendments impact those first-time adopters? Yeah, good question. As Robin explained, you know, one of the options, if an entity has not adopted 842 yet, which we know a number of private entities are working on now, then you're really allowed to adopt these amendments as if they'd always been part of Topic 842. So that is, as you're working through the adoption, of 842, you can include these amendments, which 
also includes the ability to document previously unwritten terms and conditions in order to use the practical expedient of our issue number one. Robin and Corey, thank you so much for spending time chatting with us today. I think that was a great overview of ASU 2023-01, and I'm certainly looking forward to speaking with you on future podcasts. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to this KPMG Financial Reporting Podcast. For more in-depth financial reporting developments, analysis, and podcast episodes, please visit frv.kpmg.us and be sure to subscribe today. Also, we're social. You can also follow us on LinkedIn at KPMG Financial Reporting View or with hashtag KPMGFRV.